Coffee Crisp, Kit Kat, Arrow, Smarties. Rank them in order. Matt, what are you going for? Uh, Kit Kat number one, and then Smarties, and then Oreo. Arrow? Arrow, yeah. Okay, did I say Oreo? No, I think I heard Oreo. <laughs> okay, the mind hears what it wants to hear. I'm going Coffee Crisp, Smarty, Kit Kat, Arrow. Just a little bit there for the Canadian listeners because that's our traditional Halloween pack, the four pack, and we have one at our house, so I've just been destroying those these days, but I digress. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Easy Conversations. I just want to start off by saying thanks to everyone who listened to the last episode featuring the homie Zach Saloom. Zach, thanks a lot for joining us once more, and it was a good fun talking about hockey with you and Matt, of course. So now for episode 46 of Easy Conversations, back virtually in the studio with the homie Matt. Say what's up to the people. What's going on, everybody? Hope everyone's having a good day right now, and I'm excited. to. It's my favorite month of the year, actually, right now, so I can't wait to dive into this episode. So favorite month of the year, now we're recording in October, of course, and you will notice that this is the Halloween hoarder edition of our pod this year, which we've actually done one almost every year, maybe except for the inaugural year. But Matt, you and I have already done a couple of horror movie mm-hmm. podcasts together. Clowns in Cinema in 2019 featuring Basam Issa. And then your first episode with me was actually early 2019 was just the evolution of the horror genre. So since we've done those pods, how have things changed in the horror genre? And I think a good way to frame this discussion would be, what are some good horror films that have or series that have come out this year? Share to the listeners. All right. So first of all, at the start of the year, when everything seemed normal, we were going to have a normal year. Right away in January, we're hit with like three, four horror movies that are were coming out in the theater. I've seen all of them in the theater in January, and uh, sadly, they were all pretty bad, with the exception of uh, the movie Underwater with Kristen Stewart. I don't know if you heard of that. It's like they have to escape. It's like an underground, underwater mining team, and they have to escape the facility because it's collapsing, and there may or may not be like a, a something trying to kill them. Uh, but everything else was just bad. You had the Grudge remake. You had the, a movie called The Turning, which was based on the turning of the screw, which we, we will talk about that later because it applies to a Netflix series. So the year started off pretty bad, actually. Then in March, a movie called The Invisible Man came out with Elizabeth Moss. And that was actually very good. And but sadly, that was the last movie I saw in the theater and because COVID happened right about then. So the year started off weak for horror and then like showed promise and then it all ended. Um, but all this to say that like all these streaming services that exist now for horror, a lot of good stuff's been coming out. Tonight, we're going to talk about the two horror miniseries on Netflix, The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor. And just watching those two series, I think horror is in a really good spot right now. And those two series are like a perfect example as to why like the genre is flourishing right now and like why I'm excited for more things to come. So Eric, have you heard of like The Invisible Man coming out this year or any other horror movies that I I just mentioned? 
well, Invisible Man would be the only one that I had heard about. And I'm not going to lie, by just judging off the trailers that I had seen, I wasn't intrigued at all. And saying that should take that with a grain of salt in that mm. I'm not a horror fan at all, really. I've seen a few more movies since we did our first pod together and appreciate some of those movies, but for the most part, that it didn't really hook me just from the trailer. But I remember you telling me that it was really good. And yeah. I think the reviews were pretty solid as well. So, I mean, maybe it, it would be worth uh, throwing on one of these days during this seasonally correct period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just briefly, because I think it's worth talking about, and I'm recommending the movie to everyone, but The Invisible Man delivered on stuff that not all horror movies deliver on, but like suspenseful atmosphere. And I think that's what it's all about. You can have pop-ups, but pop-ups only work for half a second. But when you have a suspenseful like atmosphere going on, just the whole movie you're left with, like something can happen at any moment and tension, tension. It's all about tension in my eyes, like just makes the movie. And then you got great acting with Elizabeth Moss, who's a like Emmy winning actress, Emmy award winning actress, I believe. And actually, one of the actors in the Haunting series is an Invisible Man. Right. Get back to that later. So, no, I recommend The Invisible Man. That was like the highlight of the horror films in the theater this year. And then everything stopped. Was there not a movie with Sophie Turner as well that came out this year? Or was that last year? Am I mistaken? Mm. I can't remember. Uh, Probably last year. You know what I'm talking about, though? It's like the Escape Room concept movie. I think it was called Escape Room. Okay, yeah, she's not in there. Sophie Escape Turner. Room was great, though. Sophie, no, she wasn't in. Um, no, I don't know. I don't know what that is. The Sophie Turner one. I know that uh, Maisie Williams was in like a, the New Mutants that came out in the theater this year, which was like a horror X Men movie. Right. Um, which that movie was supposed to come out three years ago or two years ago, and it, it was in post production hell. So. I'm never going to go see a movie that went through that many reshoots and stuff. Can you confirm it? Sophie Turner was not in that. I I was 100% sure she was in that movie. I guess I'm mistaking her with another actress. Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Anyway, I'm not even going to say. Okay. Tough start. So, so now, so basically now it's March and I've went to see The Invisible Man and I'm like, well, now I can't go to the theater. Uh, I'm going to have to rely on streaming for it to get my new horror movies and shows. We're going to talk about the first one, The Haunting of Hill House, which actually came out in 2018. You might not know this, but I actually only watched that series this year for the first time, Haunting of Hill House, because I had heard nothing but great things, and then I just kind of forgot about it. And if I'm, 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 if I'm not mistaken, you've only watched it for the first time this year, correct? That is correct. I was yeah. just going to say, I had also heard all of my friends at work rave about this show, and just full um, disclaimer we're going to be talking about both these series fully spoiling them so if you haven't seen haunting of hill house and the more recent haunting of bly manor just skip ahead in the podcast i'll have there'll be a time stamp and as to when we won't we'll be done talking about these series there but just bear with us and don't don't leave if you haven't watched those series but mm-hmm. yes i just watched it for the first time like two weeks ago and um yeah crushed it and I watched Haunting a Hill House like two months ago, and I'm so glad I did it because, like, I'm going to just say it right now, I loved Haunting a Hill House, the whole series. I loved it. But before we talk, I just want to talk about the creator, writer, and director of the show, Mike Flanagan. 
he's an up and coming director. He's directed seven horror movies and in my opinion has no misses yet, which is super rare. All his movies were I really loved all of them. And then he did the Haunting a Hill House miniseries and he's he also did the Haunting of Bly Manor. So when I saw his name attached to them, I'm like, okay, I know what to expect. And watching this director's movies, you can see all his movies deal with the same themes. It are all like shot the same. Like he has his basically he has his own style. And I'm just gonna list off list off his movies for the like the listeners. His movies are uh, Absentia, Oculus, Before I Wake, Hush. Gerald's Game, which is a Stephen King short story, um, Doctor Sleep, and Ouija 2, Origin of Evil. So all horror films, and when we're going to be talking about the themes and, and the stuff happening in Haunting a Hill House, all, everything, I can see like the origin of these ideas in his other, in his other work. So when I, I'll be like calling back to his previous movies when we get there. So... Already this this Mike Flanagan, he's like he's got his own stylistic touch when he's directing. So that got me really excited to watch these two miniseries basically. And he has nowhere but up to go. I know you probably heard of Doctor Sleep because that came out in the theater last year with Ewan McGregor, based on a Stephen King book, the sequel to The Shining. That was a I love that movie. And I recommend it to anyone, like watch The Shining and then watch Doctor Sleep. It was really good. So you haven't seen it, have you? Not yet, but I was planning on going to see or watching it at some point there. Obviously missed my shot to yeah. see it in theaters, yeah. but definitely would want to see because yeah. I did watch, I've seen The Shining only once. I would all, probably be due for a rewatch. That was, I saw that like close to 10 years ago. So that's digging mm-hmm. way back. But uh, yeah, I've heard good things about Dr. Sleep. Yeah, it's a great adaptation of the book and it even improves on the book because it takes the movie The Shining, which is not at all like its book, and kind of uses that one too. And the book, it kind of combines both worlds beautifully. Another Mike Flanagan trait is he likes using the same casts and actors. So like in these, in these series we're going to talk about, they're all actors that have appeared in his other movies. So I kind of like that. It's almost like, like Quentin Tarantino does that. A lot of directors like to work with their, their select, uh, their friends basically. And it just creates like, you know, a world. So no, I'm a big fan of Mike Flanagan who did these two miniseries. That's all that to say that. Um, so Haunting a Hill House. My first impression of the show when I started it was, oh, this is really like creepy and like jump scary because it starts off right away. Like a dreary atmosphere, a lot of flashbacks and, fl- and present day time stuff, which is another one of his traits. Like Mike Flanagan loves to do that in his movies, kind of interconnecting story uh, in the past and in the present. Um, I just thought it was really creepy and very unsettling. Like well, any, what was your first impressions of Haunting a Hill House? I would agree to everything you just said. Like that's one of the things I loved the most about the storytelling style was the fragmented alternating between the past and the present the children and the adults dealing with their childhood traumas and I was hooked from the start watching this series it was there's a sense of urgency in that that's the night that they leave Hill House for the first Mm -hmm. time 
and there there's so much we don't know there's a lot of references to like characters that we discover later on in this series as we watch more episodes there like the bent neck lady for example i actually mm. restarted watching the first episode i think i only watched the first five minutes but in those five minutes there's a lot more that you pick up on after having seen the whole thing and the bent neck lady is brought up by nell as a child and the first time I saw it, I had no idea who that was, but then like she keeps coming up in every episode and you find out more and more about her. That was a great twist we can get into later, but my initial impression was absolutely loved it. The suspense, the thriller, the myster- the mysterious aspect to it. I think for me, it really picked up like in saying that I was hooked from the start. Yes, I did enjoy episode one a lot and episode two, but three, four, five to me, really ramped up and I was like scared watching this show I had to watch it at night Mm -hmm. lights off blanket (laughs) on just get in the full in the the horror (laughs) atmosphere yeah it was a ride I mean I crushed this show in less than a week wow and I just love how like we've already said the fragmented storytelling style and how everything pieces itself together episode by episode and there are some things that are introduced in like the second episode that we only get an answer to in the last episode like jumping ahead a little bit here but um shirley's projection that she keeps seeing the man raising a glass to her a few times throughout the series that's one of those things that i felt like i had missed something like did this get explained at some point and it only gets explained in the last episode not that it's an an extremely integral point to the storyline but it's just cool how they really keep stuff for the end and slowly answer all of our questions and ultimately in the end all of our questions are answered Mm -hmm. i would say fantastic job by the flanagan man yeah and i've noticed like obviously he's not the first person to do that where your teeth your presented stuff and then when you go back you're like oh that's why all that was put in because of later on and that's existed for like since almost the dawn of cinema that like reveals like that but i think flanagan does it like beautifully most of his movies have that effect eric where you don't know what's going on at the beginning and then when you find out the ending you know when you rewatch it that everything at the beginning is going to make sense like his prime example is the movie oculus it has the same thing flashbacks back uh, back in like present and past with kids and adults and it's all it all connects in the end and then when you rewatch it you're like oh that's why they presented all that so these mini series just do it at another level i find of like greater acting the camera work in all his movies are great like just look at the episode where it's all one long take i think it's like episode six seven like in the funeral parlor it's all one shot like there's no edits beautiful and he's not the first person to do that but i just appreciate stylistic touches like that and i wanted to talk about like all the actors in the in haunting at hill house they were phenomenal like uh, michael useman who plays steven who from game of thrones dario from game of thrones dario, yeah. thought he was dario great 2. like 2. yeah he was the he's the oldest child so like he kind of doesn't believe anything he, he wants to he's making his career offline basically writing books and he's in denial and then surely played by Elizabeth Riser, she's, I thought she was great, actually. I was a big fan of her character. And then, uh, but my favorite character, I think, was Theo. You know, like, she had those powers. Yep. Um, she's actually played by the Mike Flanagan's wife. 
Oh, okay. Right and on. she's in a lot of his stuff. Like she's in Blind Manor, and yeah. um, I thought it was really cool. Like her like touching and like getting a, a vibe from someone. And we've seen that in other movies where someone has those powers. I just just like the way it's done in this show. And then the two youngest, Luke and Nell. I thought like all five siblings were great. <laughs> And, uh, you know, episode one had, I don't know if you remember, the first episode ends with Steven, like, talking on the phone and his sister standing behind him. Like, that gave me chills throughout my whole body when I first saw that, watching it alone. That scene was freaking creepy. Yeah. Or it's like, oh, she's dead. And then he turns around and it's just, oh, it's... I kind of, I'm not going to lie, though. I yeah. kind of had a feeling that she was dead or that there was something up with her just by the way she was acting, not having oh. seen her character that much yet. She was just, yeah. she just looked off, like really off. And I, I didn't see it coming like that, but it, it was freaky for sure. Yeah. And I just want to touch on what you said about all the, the children or when they become adults. So Steven, like I love that he basically writes about his experience to um, kind of rationalize what he may have seen as a kid and make it see, make it just turn a profit off the ghost stories or that he's maybe denying like you said he's in denial turns a profit off it and then surely she's also scarred by death at a young age we see with the litter of kittens mm-hmm. that she turns to that as another way a means for profit in opening up her own funeral home so it's just interesting how the two eldest children seek to um, rationally understand what may have happened to them when they were a kid and then just turn that into a means of employment. Whereas the shift happens to me with Theo, who's the middle child, who I also loved. Like I said, three, four, five were probably my favorite episodes for that each episode focuses on one of the kids mm-hmm. and they all get their own episodes. So episode three was with Theo, the middle child, who, like you said, feels or like gets has intuition based on touch and feel and i like how she's kind of afraid of her own powers and that she has to wear gloves because she and she puts up walls to not connect with people and kind of stay away from like getting hurt again like Mm -hmm. by um touching people you get close to them and that's intimate right so she just doesn't want to allow herself to get close to anyone or anything interesting character and I like how she like drinks a lot, hooks up with girls. She's just like um, a very rough life. She's having a tough go as an adult, even though she's successful and has a PhD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I loved is that all the characters are flawed yes. and that none of them are perfect. And they all cope with their childhood trauma differently, mm-hmm. but similarly. Like they all see ghosts and have their own demons that they're battling with and cope with them in their own ways like i know we didn't really you didn't get into luke and nell yet really the twins but luke becomes a heroin addict oh crushing yeah it's so sad so sad but what an episode what a storyline for his character and Mm -hmm. someone you're just rooting for when he gets the 90 day chip and then he's like leaning on i forget if her name was joey or jody the girl in his um rehab program there and she kind of becomes like another sister-like figure to him that he leans on for guidance and help like his twin sister was to him Nell who obviously um is dead as of the first episode but and Nell's character is like the driving force of the show she's unfortunately destined for death since day one and um haunts all of her siblings but also saves them at the same time like she had 
uncomfortable and difficult interactions with all of them at some point in her life as an adult, but at the, in the end is the one who saves them from the house. So, um, and she's like a selfless character as well, which her dad professes at the funeral in that he would, she would want all of her siblings to get all the gifts that they want at Christmas and not want anything for herself. So it really mm-hmm. is fitting. It's, um, like this show definitely merits a rewatch. Like I said, I've only recently seen it, but there's still some, a lot of stuff that I feel like you'd pick up a lot more in the second time. And there's something to appreciate in that, in that yeah. this is like a, an extremely smart show and transcends exactly. just pop up horror and yeah. like it has some good themes and analysis worthy television. I don't like the term, but it's like, it's like artsy horror or high end or intellectual horror which I hate using because it's saying, well, horror fans are dumb, so we need to make this, like, smart one. No, I just think, I just think it's just well-made television. It's just great television. If you don't like horror, it doesn't matter. It's just great. It's just a well-made miniseries. I don't like labeling stuff like that. And then, um, so Nell's played by Victoria Perdredi, and I first seen her in the TV show You, season yep, two, here. and thought Love she was Quinn. great. Yeah, love, yeah. Yo, she's Netflix's breakout star. Yeah, because she's great in, Bo- in in Bly Manor. I thought she was incredible. Because in here she has less of a role. But yeah, in big, Bly big Manor, loved guy, her. for sure. Loved her. So, and another, like a Mike Flanagan-ism that I've noticed is he likes ha- presenting ghosts first as scary, but then finding out, no, they actually have an ulterior motive and it might not always be nefarious. So he's done that in his couple of his previous movies. Notably, like before I wake, there's a lot of you think it's bad, but no, it's actually trying to help. Which again, he he's not the first person to do that. He's just doing it in a different light and doing it really well. And yeah, like you said, three, four, five, like ep- the middle episodes. I thought like the whole show is. I think I believe there's nine episodes, and it just flies by. It's like one ends, and you just want to keep going. Hill House is definitely definitely the scarier of the two and creepier um do you remember the jump scare in the car <laughs> of course okay oh. actually i had been warned episode yeah, me too. Eight, something happens i'm like okay the whole time and the crazy thing is as the episode was winding down and i'm like okay there's like six minutes left in the episode it has to be in this scene in the car i'm like something's coming and i'm like something's gonna happen in this car it happened and i still jumped out of my seat. I, me too. Scared yeah. the shit out of me, and I, I knew it was coming, which is the craziest part. It was like a Bilbo Fellowship of the Rings when he sees the <laughs> yeah. ring type scare, where it just 100%. happens. You know it's coming. Doesn't matter. I jumped and out of the yeah. I would say that every every episode had me like yeah. I had shivers down my spine mm-hmm. almost every episode, and like I watch in the proper setting, like I said earlier in the episode, there night blanket you know anyways and i was scared every episode whereas as we'll get into later bly manor i was not scared of the show even like the few pop-ups that happened i kind of saw coming just based on camera angles and how much space they had allowed for a pop-up kind of thing like there's one then we'll get into that later but yes i was definitely terrified watching hill house but i loved it yeah and it's just it's those quiet scenes too where well, we're gonna go take it back to like in the past with the kids when the kids are just like 
you're following the kids by themselves and they're wandering. And the big thing of Hill House is it had the there's this thing called the Red Room, which presents itself like as a different room to every different kid. So like just following the kids in their own like we don't know this until the end, but episode nine. Yeah, just following the kids. I just found that a little creepy because you know some of them are talking to imaginary friends, some of them are doing this, and it's just. It's very unsettling. You don't know what's going to like come around the corner and stuff. So I enjoyed all of that. Um, of the two, Hill House is more like my cup of tea because it, it's way more horror than Bly Manor. Hill House is basically like, if you like horror movies, you're just getting a nine-part miniseries. That's all that is, and it's just, it's just tremendous. Like I, I can't tell you how much I loved Hill House. Um, it'll be... It'll, it, I know Netflix says like they want they want to continue this haunting series and like if one of them can top Hill House I'd be very surprised, mm-hmm. very very. The the Red Room twist was fantastic. Yeah. By the way. First of all, watching the show the whole time I kept I was kept waiting for the dad to reveal what he knows because he just kept saying like oh no they don't understand like and then you find out you come to find out that he's talking to his dead wife the whole time or she it, mm-hmm. not it isn't even her like he's just made up um, mm-hmm. a projection of his deceased wife and talks to her and she gives him advice or whatever. But he knows what the house is and only reveals that when another one of his children is in dire need of his guidance. And like, there is no other choice but to reveal to his kid, his old, eld- eldest son, what the house is and that it's alive. It tailors itself to each of the kids. Mm-hmm. Like I said, like further reading on this show would be encouraged and a rewatch because it still is confusing. Like it's supernatural. It while I say that everything's explained in the last few episodes is true, there's still a lot that doesn't really make sense, but it it makes it it works in the context of this world. Yes, and that's well what said. I love about the show is that for what it is, it makes sense. It's smart, scary interesting and it's a happy ending which i loved i mean Mm -hmm. i was super happy with the end of hill house and i was kind of worried i wasn't sure how they'd wrap everything up because shows like this or just shows in general the ending is everything and like like in a movie right it can make or break a movie and this ending is definitely extremely strong and i was kind of i was worried at first though at the start of the last episode you see steven in his home reconciled with his wife she's pregnant they're talking about hill house as if it's past and they've overcome the obstacle that was hill house so i'm like okay so i guess steven's okay and something happened to luke and his dad because she outright says that they're both dead so I'm like, okay well i guess it's not about the destination it's about the journey and we're gonna get a flashback into how they both died and it wasn't the case so again another great storytelling tactic that threw me off and Mm -hmm. When every when like her baby started and just when the wife started talking and going on this monologue, that's when it clicked that it wasn't really true, and that he was in this dream yeah. realm, and it was uh, it was a ride for sure. I didn't see that coming at all, and there that's another thing that I would give um, the edge to Hill House was that it wasn't as predictable as Bly. Whereas even well though said. Bly was yeah. arguably more confusing and in- Inception esque. It still um, stumped me more, I guess. Hill House stumped me more and mm-hmm. threw me more curveballs that I preferred as well. I really liked when you said, like, 
once you buy into like the premise of supernatural it is it is a very smart show that's what elevates it elevates it compared to all like the all the horror stuff that's been coming out at the theater or where they just want cheap cheap thrills cheap scares this is like it's a story first then they add the scares it's not a scares and then they add the story around it it's built off of, i mean it this miniseries is loosely based on a book so mike flanagan did create all this in his head it's loosely based on a book from like shirley jackson i think the author it doesn't matter but no just this is why i love mike flanagan he always has good stories that's why i like all his movies even though sometimes like the the way he does it isn't perfect it's just good characters good stories and that's why i think a lot of the actors like to come back and do his movies because they can see like the talent and the good storyteller that he is and like uh olivia the mom is played by carla like gugino she was in gerald's game uh same with henry spy thomas kids. who plays yeah spy kids same with henry thomas who plays hugh the dad he was in Gerald's game as well. And he's the little kid from E.T., by the way, Eric. Elliot? Yeah, I know. I was actually yeah. going to drop that as my own fun uh, fact, but I guess you beat me to it. Yeah, it was, nice try, though. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, his wife is one of the children. She was in Hush as the main uh, heroine, and she was great in that. I think people like to work with him, and I think this guy's going to have a bright future in horror, and he likes the genre. Like, I follow him on social media. He's, like, super passionate, and that's what I love. Like, he's... He's a fanboy of horror. And he just wants to do great things. Um, I love the last episode of Hill House, the reveal where, like, we get hints. But then when you see, like, episode nine, you're like, oh, why didn't I see that? And it's, it seems obvious sometimes, but not for a first-time watch where you're not going to pick up on all these things. But apparently there's, like, little hints, like, every, like, when the red room is different for everybody, it still looks the same in the background. I didn't know that. I had to read on that, like the the way the like the wall looks and stuff. And obviously the tree house, which is the room for uh, Luke. Like apparently in the first few episodes, they say like, wait, like what tree house? Like nobody knows it exists, which would make sense. It only exists for Luke. Um, and the whole thing with uh, the mom and Ab, the I think it's the Dudley's daughter, right, Abigail, and what happens there? That's heartbreaking like what the house makes her do to sum up i loved it and i can't believe i didn't watch it in 2018 even though everyone was raving about it and i can 100 percent see myself re-watching it and it might even be better the second time because i will know everything and it's just looking at all the, like the, the little clues that they're giving us so yeah i agree 100 percent. that would be why like i even restarted it the other day just to for notes for the pod of course there but i could see myself maybe starting it up again right away and i will rewatch it down the road i'll let it breathe for a little bit there but i agree like there's that's the great thing about this show is that it merits almost a rewatch and it was so good on initial watch that i think it'd be arguably even better on second watch in that you could see all the clues laid out like you said mm-hmm I'm definitely going to watch it again down the road. And like I said, like, I don't like, I don't love this genre, but I absolutely love this show. And I like the rush of being scared as well. That That's probably the first time it's ever happened to me that like, I see why people love pop-ups and um, there are quite a few pop-ups and build-ups to 
suspenseful moments and stuff and i was all for it even though it was like i felt i had chills and goosebumps mm-hmm. and stuff i was just loving it every minute of it so definitely um probably be the same again if i rewatch it but so you've just proven my theory that like a good movie a good show is a good show or a good movie like it doesn't matter what genre it is like class uh, a classic movie is a classic i'm not saying this is like a all-time classic but it doesn't matter what genre you're in a good thing is it like it's well made it should be seen by fans of television or movies like you said you've seen the shining yeah, that's one of like the all-time great horror movies it just transcends the genre it's just a good piece of filmmaking is what i'm trying to say you know good art is good art i'm not a fan of renaissance art but i can like look at a uh, michelangelo or a da vinci and like recognize its merit you know so um, you and me both yeah so i think we summed up uh, hill house pretty well great cast great storyline tough to follow up and we got blind manor a few weeks ago what were your initial thoughts on the series okay so when i saw it came out i was extremely excited a bit overexcited like i'm like i gotta calm my expectations i try not to read any reviews on it because you know like day one the next day someone's already watched it all and written a review or analyzed it or whatever. So I stayed away from all of that. Some people at work had like binged it and told me a little bit. They just like, oh, it's di-. all they told me was it's different. So I said, okay, that's not a difference, not a bad thing. So after the first episode and then the second episode, I was a little thrown off by like the tonal switch a bit. Did not feel it was as scary or creepy as Hill House whatsoever. Is that what you felt? I agree. I mean, as far as tone, I found that it was quite lighter, brighter mm-hmm. colors as well. Maybe that's yeah. to fit the um, decor of maybe the 1980s and brighter colors, what have yeah. you. But yeah, it definitely wasn't as eerie, as scary, and not as much of a thriller at all. Like like I said earlier, and like we both said, we didn't really find ourselves be overly scared, worried, even though, even when it was nighttime and let's say Danny was just running around the house or on the grounds of Bly Manor, and it's like the episode's almost done, you kind of know something's going to pop up and it's supposed to be scary. I don't even know if it is supposed to be scary because I wasn't scared once, I don't think. I mean, I might, I may have gasped a couple of times, but it definitely didn't even compare to Hill House. I enjoyed the show overall, I'll say, like I just finished it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I think the themes were similar to Hill House, like grief was definitely even more prominent in this show, like dealing mm-hmm. with death was a big one, and ev- mm-hmm. basically every character had their own way, like in Hill House, of dealing with death, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed, like Danny, her ghost, her deceased fiance, I thought that was interesting, and um, I mean, not scary, but it was cool to see that explained in that she felt responsible for his death when she told him that she couldn't marry him because she was attracted to women. Mm-hmm. That's a, just a, an overall brutal day for the guy. I mean, finds out his fiance isn't into him and steps out of his car and gets run over by an 18-wheeler. So that's a tough go, tough uh, tough 10-minute stretch. But... um. Yeah, I mean, even when he, every time he would pop up, I, I wasn't really scared. Whereas when we'd see yeah. like the Ben Neck Lady that we referenced oh. earlier, which we didn't even, Ben Neck Lady was scary. 
his fiance was not. So that's just like quickly my thoughts on that. But the themes of death and um, grieving and the ghosts was interesting. One thing that I'll throw the ball to you. I want to know what your thoughts were on Hannah Gross. I called in the first really? episode that she was dead. Really? Was, I hadn't. Wow. So just based on how she was acting, how weird she was, yeah. always like kind of dozing off or spacing out. And what really. Okay, maybe I wasn't 100% sure about it, but I knew that based on like her never drinking or never eating around people, oh, that made me clue in that she may be a ghost. So tough to say that I was 100% certain because she still interacted with characters. Like her, she was really weird. But yes. I, I just had a feeling that she wasn't all there and come to find out in like episode five that she had died. And then in episode nine, she just disappeared because of... The Danny spell's absorbing over. The, yeah. the lady in the lake, but now we're jumping all over the place, fragmented storytelling style. But uh, yeah, Hannah Gross, what were your thoughts? So, so yeah, like that to me, that's where the show changes. I think episode five, I think it's called The Altar of the Dead, and it's about Hannah. That when that's when the show really kicked it off for me, and I really fell in love with it. That episode where you you find out the twist, basically that. Like we've seen in other movies that no, that person's actually dead, and I didn't pick up on any of that, Eric. And now I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to rewatch the first few episodes just to see that because I th- I just didn't think anything of it. I just like okay, she's just odd. But you're right, she would always like her mind's wandering or she's not paying it paying any attention. And in episode five, I loved how like she's in a scene and then someone's like, okay, no, you're not here right now, and then jumps to another scene mid conversation. I loved that stuff loved it like you said like inception like and i was actually gonna yeah i said inception like but at first it also made me think of shutter island like i honestly thought in that moment that it was the whole house was some sort of made up institution that everyone was in on maybe except for hannah or like that it was what am i trying to say like a mechanism to drive someone's own delusions and fit into a narrative that someone has created so that's what i was kind of thinking of as well like that threw me off with hannah during that episode that it kept going back and forth to her and owen at the dinner table yeah having the same conversation over and over again i i was racking my brain i was like okay is she dead what's happening here like she keeps jumping timelines like that confused me so that's where in saying that the twists in Hill House, I think, were better because while they were they were unpredictable, I think Bly Manor's twists were a little too complex. And while I said that it were, if it's well explained in the con- context of a world, a fictional world, supernatural, that it works. This one, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. And actually, a friend of mine listed a few things that she noticed that we can talk about later when we get into like the end of the of the show there's definitely a bit to be, a bit more to be scrutinized in blind manner okay i i can't wait to hear those questions because to me blind manner to its core is actually super simple but disguised as making it seem more complicated with all these things but i think like like episode eight shows us the flashback episode in black and white shows us that it's actually just a simple curse and I think I can explain Bly Manor, and I can't wait to hear those questions. I think it's all pretty, almost, some people might critique too simple, like the way everything gets wrapped up. To me, it was very, like, not hard to understand. You just said so much there. Um, 
So like I said, episode five, which really like turned it around. And then every episode after that, let's just, I just want to talk about episode eight, which is the black and white, like the, the origin of the curse and like what's going on. I thought the show did a lot of that where they knew the show was like episode nine was coming. So it's like, okay, we got to jam in all the explanation right before. Mm -hmm. And then when we get to episode nine, then we're like, we get the full picture and now we know what's going on. As opposed to if episode eight had been the first episode, then we would have like, Mike Flanagan likes doing that where jamming all the explanation right before like the climax. I just thought that worked beautifully. What did you think of, it's only a little stylistic touch, but like we're presented the story through like a narrator. Did you like that? I thought it was good. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I didn't really pay too much attention or try to think too much on who the narrator was uh-huh. it clicked at the last scene before it cuts back when oh, okay jamie is leaving the lake that's when uh-huh. I've, re- I've realized that jamie was the narrator yeah so, it took me a while like too. right before we find out that it is her i mean i was a little i, I got a little early so it's humble brag did you like any of the peter rebecca stuff or did you think that was just like to distract us from what's really going on. And then when you find out what their fates were, you're like, oh, okay, it's just their other victims, basically. Did you think that was going in a different direction? I like the Peter Quint, Rebecca, Jessel love story. And that's another thing about this show is that it's more of tragic love stories than yes. horror stories. Like it's, there's so many different love stories in there. Like there's four in my mind yeah. that could be all dissected, but the big ones are the Peter Quint, Rebecca, Jessel, Danny, Jamie, the, um, like even Owen Hannah, I guess. Yes. yes. Viola, sure. her sister and the, the, uh, the man, I forget his name. And then the Henry, and his brother's wife. So anyways, that's a whole other thing. But Peter Rebecca, I really liked. And actually, that's another thing I enjoyed. Was that, that's why. So first of all, hats off to the actors who played Miles and Flora. Holy oh, shit, amazing. those kids amazing. creeped me out the whole yeah. time. It's perfectly splendid. Just yeah. like. The girl was From great. the scene yeah. one, I'm like, oh, there's something up with this girl. Mm. I didn't really think anything of Miles, to be honest. I I had more of a feeling that Flora was possessed than Miles. I never would have guessed Miles. But Flora, what when it really, obviously, it was a straight-up reveal when she mm-hmm. shushes one of the dead people, basically. So she's in on the house's secret, right? When they're playing hide-and-seek in the house. Yeah. So now I'm taking my time to answer this question about Peter and Rebecca. But that's, fine. that's when I realized that there was something going on at the house and Rebecca and flora and miles are aware of it but it still didn't explain their own behavior so then we come to find out that peter quint is an absolute scumbag and turns a great brilliant girl in rebecca to um i guess revolt against the high class and he's just trying to get her to become his the bonnie to his clyde like right off in the sunset with her but we're never convinced or i wasn't convinced anyways that he that he actually loved her. I think he was kind of just using her and exploiting like a beautiful young girl. That's my impression of Peter in like just strictly in relation to Rebecca. But I love that they ended up possessing or not manipulating them, but kind of controlling them and assuming their bodies form. Yeah, they can go in their body. Yeah, that was cool. I actually like that aspect. I like that a lot, actually. So 
in in saying that I think Bly wasn't as good as Hill House, there's a lot of things that I did enjoy, and that was definitely one of the components of the show that I loved the most. And uh, that was kind of creepy, like when they had Danny in the attic and they were kind of figuring out what to do with her. There, there was some suspense there. But no, I didn't see anything wrong with the Rebecca Peter love, air quotes, story. And uh, if anything, like, I thought the actor who played Peter was phenomenal. As yeah. I obviously preferred Luke as a character in Hill House, but he was still great as Peter. And yeah, I, I loved amazing. Rebecca as well. And yeah. she was definitely a, a better person than Peter and deserved better. How about you? Yeah, yeah, and it, I loved what you said. And what I liked, the, the Peter storyline, because, like, Peter and Re- like they're all just... They're trapped. They can't go. In. They they cannot leave the estate. They're like wandering souls. Uh, but I love the fact that each of the ghosts or character that are ghosts have this thing that keeps calling him back to a certain moment. And for Peter, it's that loud knocking and flash. And then he always goes back to that scene with his mother that he dreads. And like you can see in his face, every time he goes back, he's like, he opens the door and he's like, oh, he has to live through that again. Stuff like that I love in movies. It's like he's reliving his own hell, basically. And like the whole thing with, you find out like the originator of the curse is Viola, who like the Lady of Bly Manor and like how she's been doing it so long that she's forgotten her purpose and what like her kid looked like. To me, that is bone chillingly scary because that's like, not being able to die and just wander and like wandering aimlessly and that was a little creepy to me because i'm like that's like the definition of hell is like not knowing what you're doing and i loved episode eight but like this show second half is so much better than the first half in my opinion and episode eight where you get all the meat of the story is just fantastic and it's actually really sad like episode eight or nine were not like tear inducing but like they're very emotional episodes and some people have told me like they got really emotional during the finale and i can totally see why all right one of the characters at the end says it's it's not a ghost story it's a love story and that's that's the thing about blind manor it's 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 a it's a love story a romance and you know what i really in the end i loved i liked it a lot yeah, me too. I, yeah, I did enjoy good. the like the love story was great, and we're talking about I guess more Danny, Danny. and um, Jamie, Jamie here. Yeah. So that was very sad when you find out that Jamie is the narrator and that she's had to hold on to this trauma and just sadness for all these years. It. I mean, I love their storyline. I actually would have liked to see more of it. <laughs> I would have liked to see more of it on screen because. Like, I feel like there was a bit more to both of their characters in that Jamie really opens up in one episode, in one moment at night yes. when she tells yes. her, her, when she tells Danny her past on how Amazing she was scene. abandoned and uh, basically had to be the mother to her younger brother abandoned by her mother and that her father worked as a, in a coal mine. So very tragic um, upbringing. And then she finds comfort in Poppins, Danny. As soon as, in the last episode, basically, I'm just going to jump ahead. When Danny is able to save Flora from the lady in the lake, you know that it's so early in the episode, something terrible is bound to happen. Yeah. And it was kind of like slowly watching an animal die in the oh. sense that you're seeing both Danny and Jamie live this 
fairy tale life. They've got their own flower shop. They're happy together. Years pass. They defy the odds. Danny's terrified that something bad's gonna happen. That there's a beast inside of her that's gonna come out in the jungle. And it's just like a slow burn. And that's what was terrifying, really, in the mm-hmm. last episode was that when is it gonna happen? It's this impending, just waiting on Jamie's gonna die. Danny's gonna kill her. That's what I was worried about. Ultimately, that doesn't happen, so I was happy that didn't happen, but it's still sad that it was a lose-lose situation unless there was some sort of exorcism, but it was lose-lose in that one of the two had to die, and it was just a very tragic ending, which is good in a sense that it wasn't the same kind of happy ending as Hill House. That was the rough roughest part of the show was that you just wanted these two to end up together having both lived rough lives and dealt with them death and uh, abandonment just insecurity and all that so that was rough and that would I guess wrap it all up to what you asked me earlier about the narrator I mean I loved it I thought it was good and she did say it wasn't a it was a long story so that was sad and I loved the ending though that we saw that and it, as soon as, um, I don't know if this is the case for you, but as soon as everyone in the wedding or the foyer basically left the room yeah. and it was just Jamie talking to the bride, it clicked that that was Flora to me. Like I knew that was, it had to be her because they had already said that she didn't remember. I didn't see mm-hmm. it coming that way that she had changed her name altogether to um, like that her middle name was Flora. But I knew that was Flora. I loved it, um, and I didn't see—I didn't really actually anticipate that until like she's like, "Oh, what a coincidence! My middle name is." Um, but no, okay. So the last episode when Danny and Jamie, you're seeing like they're through the years, and then like it's like watching, uh, like when she sees a reflection in the store in the like, in the door to the flower shop. Like my heart sank. I was like, ah, because you know, a small part of you thinks it's everything's gonna be okay. And, but you know, your brain's telling you, you know, it's not, but you just, you're just hoping. And like, it's, it's almost like you see it all the time in other movies with like, like maybe Alzheimer's or dementia. Like, you know, everything's good at the start, but then it's slowly like eating away at her brain. And we can make that, maybe it's a comparison to that. And eventually she was just going to have to, like, it was just going to degenerate into like her death. Did you think, okay, so... You know when Jamie comes home and like the water's all over the floor? Like I thought that was it. Like oh she she like she killed herself in the bathtub, and I like I was like oh, I I didn't want I couldn't breathe. I was just like oh. So I think I thought that as well, but I also thought that like Danny had become the lady in the lake, and that she oh. was like there was gonna be a flood in the apartment, and that oh. I thought Jamie was gonna die in that scene. And and the shows like we've been saying the second half of the show is better, but the first few episodes of the show, it starts off as like a creepy nanny with two kids story, just like it's loosely based off of the turning of the screw, which is about a nanny who cares for these two kids. Then nefarious stuff starts happening. That's where I thought the show was heading. I was ready for a thrill ride of scares and pop-ups and like interconnecting things. But what instead what I got was like, like you said, like Inception or Shutter Island-esque stuff going on with characters that are dead or not dead, and then a beautiful romance in the last few episodes. And it's just, some might argue like that might be one of its weaknesses, like it doesn't know what it wants to be. 
and it's not advertised correctly. Like I've heard people say that, like they shouldn't have marketed like a horror show. It's not, but that's what I like about it. It's all, it's doing all these different things. And who says horror can't be with like romance or comedy or, and I've noticed like Mike Flanagan doesn't throw a lot of comedy in any of his stuff. Like, and I, you know, I appreciate that. It's not like silly, nothing, nothing too silly or like gags, you know, slapsticky, which I a hundred percent appreciate. But no, to summarize, not not as good as Hill House, but that's like saying it's not as good as a 10 out of 10. You know, it's still an 8 or a 9 out of 10 for me. And that Owen, not Owen, but uh, Peter, uh, Peter's accent kind of threw me off, you know, because Luke, when he plays Luke, he's like American. And here he's like heavy Scottish. So that was, I thought that was funny, actually. Well, all of the uh, actors, except yeah. for, I guess, Danny is American, mm. but all the others play like Scottish or English. Right characters right yeah owen i really liked owen um owen was great i mean i feel like there's kind of again more room to develop that character and i was i was sure like i said that that character wasn't actually a chef it was some sort of detective or psychologist analyzing Uh, what was going on in the house in episode five that's when i started thinking like that turns out he was a chef so because of the interview parts right where he's telling hannah like okay we're not yeah we've already been through this yeah, that Eric, that's very interesting. That that would have been completely like different kind of show if it I went that route. Yeah. Um, like another thing, these these two haunting shows. This is what American Horror Story wishes it was. I mean, that show went way downhill, and is not not even near this level of production and like intelligent storytelling. And I think Netflix did a great job hiring Mike Flanagan and pumping out these this series. I'm just so happy, and it's. It's a lot better than most things coming out these days in the horror world. So I had actually been recommended to watch American Horror Story. So you saying but, I, I shouldn't? Or I've heard like well, the first two seasons, I believe, off the top of my head, or some of the yeah. better ones. Like Dexter, American Horror Story started off amazingly. Like it, it started on its high note, basically, just like Dexter. Which Dexter apparently is not over. I don't know if you read that. Oh no, I but, haven't even uh, seen Dexter. So oh, okay, that's, sorry. Yeah. It's barking up the wrong tree. Uh, well, but that's another conversation. Um, that could be no, another episode. I'm, yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, I don't so know. So I can get into like some of the questions okay. or issues with Manor? the show's resolution okay. that I got. So, a few questions that Matt, I'll just throw all these out to you. Okay. So first one. Why would the lady in the water all of a sudden possess Danny just because of what she shouted out? What does that phrase have to do with anything about the lady in the water? And why wouldn't she have just taken Danny then? Why did she have to wait for an indeterminate amount of years? I don't think it's specified how many years she waits to act. But why did she wait that long? She's playing the long game. What was her purpose there? Well, from from what I understand... And this is where you have to buy in the supernatural. But the lady in the water, the whole curse started because she refused to die, like through sheer will or hatred or whatever. And death came to that death came at her door that night when she was sick, but she turned death away. And then death was like, okay, screw this. I ain't coming here anymore, which is why no one can die on the property. So, like, when she became the, and then that's why she became the lady in the lake. Like, she just never died. Or, she was dead, but she can't, you know, like they can't go at, they're not at peace, right? Their soul still remains. 
But maybe to answer the question, maybe it's because that opportunity had never presented itself to the lady in the lake, someone inviting her soul to go into a body. Because that's one thing they do in the show is a character will say like, oh, it's you, it's me, it's us. And then that ghost will go on that person, right? right? Maybe the lady in the lake heard Danny say that and then she got the opportunity to actually go in a physical living body and couldn't pass that up. That's the way I saw it. Like it had this had opportunity had never happened before and she had the chance to go in a living body. To follow up on that thought, how was everyone but Danny so calm about her being possessed by this creature? Ooh. Well, that's like that's when you just answer like, well, because television show. I don't know. You're right. Because Jamie's aware the whole time, like yeah, you know, like, is she sleeping with one eye open? I don't know. <laughs> that's the thing to me, too. Like, that's uh, maybe a critique I also share on this is that Jamie was a little too calm about this whole thing and, like, kind of downplayed right. how serious it was. And also, I think, poor communication on Danny's part in that I understand that she's frightened and doesn't understand what's happening. But she still seemed to be aware that the lady in the lake was in her. Yeah. And she, oh, for sure. she threw it out there for, her. she sent out the invitation. So that's a little out there. And like maybe some sort of exorcism, as I mentioned earlier in the episode would have been a good way to maybe, right. They didn't try any sure that they have their happy ending together. Yeah. So that's uh yeah, we don't see them trying anything. And I think Jamie knows, obviously she knows the lady uh, is in her and she, Jamie's like, okay, we might have five years, 10 years, 20 years. I'm going to enjoy every year with, uh, with Danny. And eventually I know a time will come. Um, but I don't think that's a story flaw. It's just a flaw of like, we just have to accept that logic and just shrug our shoulders. But every single movie ever made or TV show has stuff like that. It's a supernatural show. You just have to it's how far you can, ex how much you can accept. And I'm good with accepting it. It is a good question though. Your friend who submitted that, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> I just accepted it right away. Uh, these are some good questions though. I like it. Do you have any thoughts on like why, how the first question she asked, like how come the, it took all this time for like the lady in the lake to go into a body or I answer to that was that I was under the impression that it was six years that passed until she acted because when they show the passage of time with yeah. Danny and Jamie, yeah. the narrator actually makes a point of saying one year passed, okay. two years passed, three, four, five. And then, and then she another, stops yeah. at what is implied as the sixth year, which yeah. we've seen in the past with Viola and that she acted every six years in death. Like I think it took her six years to die. And then after she had died six years later, when her, now this also ties into when her sister actually opened the chest and mm -hmm. it happened to be six years later, but I don't think this is just a coincidence. I think it's a theme and okay. that that's when she chooses to come out of her vessel in which that would be Danny or the chest or her vessel being her physical body that was um, plagued with sickness. I believe that that would be my explanation for it. I like it. Six, six, right. six. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's the thing. Like, is, did a demon get inside of her? Or, I don't know. This is, yeah. I think so. There's there's know. room to explore in there yeah. for sure. And maybe yeah. another rewatch on that as well. I can't answer this actually. So maybe you can. You know, like they kept showing those cracks. Like the crack in different spots. Like Hannah would notice that. Did you Do you know what that is? So I thought that was just when Hannah fell down in the, the at well. the bottom of the well, there was a crack in the well. So and she that's kept what seeing she, it everywhere. That was her last oh, image okay. that she saw. Thank you. Right before she died. Yeah. Okay, thanks. But I know that stumped me for a while as well. Like that was just an interesting, again, there's something up with Hannah's character. Wasn't yeah, sure no, what it was. Sense. Like I said, I thought she was dead and turned out she was. So it was just all over the place with that character. Yeah, so the, the poll that I'd put up on Instagram there, it was a unanimous... Hill House was the favorite from the listeners. One person actually voted for Bly, but that's because they hadn't seen Hill House yet. So that would be, I'm sure once that person has seen Hill House, they will, their vote will shift towards Hill House and away from Bly. But yeah, I mean, two great shows. I mean, we've, this is basically a Mike Flanagan themed episode where moving away from just Halloween horror in general. But another question we had asked was for some people's favorite horror movies. So we got a couple of submissions. I'll just go through them. The first one was actually none from someone who doesn't like horror at all. So thanks for that. The second one was shame. Yeah. I mean, it's never too late to, to get on this, this wave. The next one was Halloween, the first one. So with Jamie Lee oh. Curtis, the first Halloween. That's my favorite horror film. So Let's go. I love the 1978 Halloween. I adore that movie. Can watch it every three months, no problem. Okay. Can talk Is more it about really it. Is scary you... though? Like not anymore because it was made so long ago, but I just, all the flaws in it, everything about it, I just love it now because I've like, it's like so familiar to me and what I, the music, the music makes the movie, John Carpenter's soundtrack. Like they, they screened the movie without the music and everyone hated it. And then the studios wanted to pull it. Then the, he, he put the soundtrack soundtrack in and they're like, Oh, the movie's a masterpiece now. Like it's a great horror movie. So like, I love just watching the movie, listening to the soundtrack, just everything about it. Like, I, I don't want to start, we're going to be talking all night about Halloween if I start going on. So adore that movie i adore it the next next answer we got was tim burton's sleepy hollow i believe my mom submitted that because she told me she did i was yeah. just gonna go anonymous with all the yeah. submitters but yes she did submit that yeah. i've been showing a lot of horror movies to my mother throughout the years and like she loves them too and i asked her i said what's your favorite horror movie and she couldn't answer and then she thought about it and she picked sleepy hollow which Johnny Depp's phenomenal in the movie. I great movie. I mean, it's it's scary for kids. I don't know, like me and you watching it now, we wouldn't find it too scary. But it's a Tim Burton classic, in my opinion. Have you seen it? I have not. Yeah, I haven't seen any of these movies that okay. people submitted. So, okay. just a disclaimer. It's an unusual choice to like. You wouldn't. You ask a thousand horror fans what their favorite horror movie is. None of them would say Sleepy Hollow. I guarantee it. Well, there's something spicy to be appreciated pick. in uniqueness and individuality. Yeah. So um, the next one was The Evil Dead, 1981. Oh, I'm curious. You have to tell me off air who wrote that in, or you <laughs> so can say it on it. Uncle Pat. Pat, I knew it. I knew it. I, 
I, I knew it. The Evil Dead, I love The Evil Dead. It's super low-budget, experimental. It's basically a student film, but it's superbly well-made. The special effects are great. Um, no, it's a really solid pick. Sam Raimi, who did all the Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire. This was like his basically his big student film with his friends, and it became a hit. So, spawned a franchise. Right on. The yeah. next one was The Thing, 1982. <sighs> That's my second favorite horror film. Again, directed by John Carpenter. <laughs> the Thing might be... The Thing is for sure a way better made movie than Halloween. It's arguably like one of the best made horror films ever made, uh, objectively. Kurt Russell plays the main character, McCready, and Kurt Russell's amazing in this movie. Like That's why I'm a fan of his. Okay. Phenomenal movie. And I watch it every winter because it takes place in the winter and it's just the perfect setting when there's a blizzard or snowing outside. You just want to watch the thing. Great stuff. That one, Eric, I would like put that high up on your list. Okay. How scary is it? It's it's like creature effects. Like it's all about the special it it's not scary, it's more I guess gory or gross and less on creep. It's it's hard to explain. But I don't think you you'd be fine. Unless you, you're grossed out by, like, realistic special effects. No, you're, you'll be good. Quite a bit to yeah. solidify that I'd be okay. And the final movie that was submitted was Drag Me to Hell. Wow. Directed by Sam Raimi, who did Evil Dead. Wow. It's another Pat. Uh, All these movies was, were from Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying here. Sorry. <laughs> Drag me to I hell is basically. and say that they're from someone else just to throw you off as to who's submitting these movies. But yeah, as a common theme, Pat just gets you. Thank you for submitting so many, Pat. Like, submit 50. I would have talked about all of them. Uh, Drag me to hell is basically a roller coaster ride of like pop ups and scares. That one is scary. You watch it alone, you're going to be looking over your shoulder all night. There's okay. a lot of scares. I don't want that. Yeah. So thanks for the submission, guys. Um, great good stuff. answers. Yeah. And you said like this is more of a Mike Flanagan episode and less of a like a Halloween horror. Well, as someone who's following the horror scene every year, like Mike Flanagan is super hot right now and like he's super popular and he pretty much is like is the horror scene for some people. Like every time something comes out, a lot of talk. There's always a lot of talk on his new movies and. Him and uh, several, like he's part of the new school of new directors that are like reinvigorating horror and making it good again. And I can name several other people, but like just focusing on Mike Flanagan, it shows, paints a picture on like what horror is like now. Because all his movies came out in the last like eight years, so, or eight or ten years, so he's very uh, a hot topic right now in the well, horror definitely genre. Definitely a fan based on his, the two series that yeah. we spent quite a bit of time analyzing so i'd definitely give some of his movies a chance definitely dr sleep first because that's probably an easy one for me mm -hmm. to segue into having seen the shining and having liked it a lot so that's definitely a movie that i see myself and I, I wanted to see it but just never got around to it so mike flanagan this is like a an mf tribute episode mf doom <laughs> i knew you were gonna say that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's a vaudeville villain. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I think we could we could have talked. I I felt like and there was so much more stuff to say on Hill House. Like 
just quickly like he does this in movies too but like nell seeing the batnik lady as a child she's which she is as an adult because she hangs hangs herself she's the originator of her own nightmares like how freaky is that you're the one causing in the future your own trauma as a child like that's brilliant in my opinion that was that, like wild. that floored me like she's seeing herself in the future but has no idea because she's a kid like I was really impressed by that. That's why I think like that. episode five, which in the end we finally find out that she is the bent neck lady. That was the craziest twist to me yeah. throughout yeah. the whole series. And just seeing her in different scenes where she saw herself in, in the past was Crazy. wild. Yeah. And um, another tragic character. I mean, mm -hmm. just can't catch a break. Basically is predicted to die and has to come home to the house to die and has been like you said perfectly there is the the cause of her own trauma as a child it's wild yeah that really like gave me goosebumps when i saw it. i didn't see that coming at all and i was like oh my jaw dropped inception-esque once more mike flanagan is the he's the guy oh yeah i will always look forward to whatever he puts out are there any other horror movies coming out that uh you're looking forward to i know now it's kind of tough with like the theaters are kind of closing down again, or I don't know. They all got delayed, basically everything yeah, I wanted. Delayed, yeah. yeah, like the there's a couple like there was supposed to be a Halloween movie coming out, Halloween uh, Halloween Kills, yeah, which is a sequel to the 2018 Halloween movie with Jamie Lee Curtis, like a sequel again. There's like 13 or 12 Halloween movies now. Not much to look forward to then. No. Do you have any recommendations for people who just want a good scare around the? The Halloween season, if you, off Honest, the top. I'm going to recommend some Mike Flanagan movies. Um, I mean, I'm hoping they're on Netflix. They're hard to find, like, physical copies. Well, people have means. I'm going to recommend a, a Mike Flanagan movie that's unlike any of his other ones because it's his only movie that's not supernatural. It's mm -hmm. called Hush. Hush. It's a home invasion movie. And the main character is played by his wife, Katie Siegel. She's deaf. And this guy like wants to come in the house and like rob her and kill her, but then he the 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 robber notices she's deaf, because like he's making noise and she's not turning around. So then he starts screwing around with her and scaring her on purpose. And then the whole movie is a game of cat and mouse. First he it's like he can finish the job right away, but he doesn't want to. He wants to scare her and really mess with her mind. But then she starts her own game and like she starts doing things right, and it's just a one on one basically the whole movie. Hush. I, it, that should be on Netflix. But like all his other movies are very supernatural and like the movie Oculus, which is really good. And it's got Karen Gillan in it from Jumanji and Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, Again, same themes of flashbacks and ghosts that ghosts that have ulterior purposes, I guess, that are presented right away. No, I recommend, you know what? Hush is the one I recommend right now. I really enjoyed it. I would recommend Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I forget if I've talked about this on the pod, but I watched oh, it like a couple of years ago there, and it definitely terrified me as well. Even though that's an old movie, right? Is that not that not 70, come out in the seventies? Seventy four. That was scary, suspenseful thriller. While I, I don't think there was much gore really, despite None. the title and what you would think. I was still terrifying them no spoilers there but at the the end there i was i was on the edge of my seat and like just creeped out so so yeah like texas chainsaw massacre barely has any gore and 
what 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 does freak you out in the last few like sequence is all the close like there's close-ups of our main of uh, the main character's eyeball there's close it's the camera's so frantic it's the sound of her screaming for 10 minutes straight like she's literally screaming the last 10 minutes of the movie texas chainsaw massacre if someone says like what's the definition of a horror movie or terror it's that movie it's just the 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 setting the sounds the the way the camera plays with like your mind just the sheer terror is i that's in my top five favorite movies like my favorites would be halloween the thing and texas chainsaw massacre would be number three the movie barely scratches like an hour and 20 minutes it's a quick watch it's just terrifying it was on netflix last time yeah when I saw it, it was on Netflix anyway. Yeah. I hope it still is for anyone who wants to be terrified in the end, especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the thing. And me, was kind of just imagining yourself in that situation. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it because it's, it's, it's always cited. It's an important horror movie that came out, an independent movie that made a ton of money. And its legacy is its influence on a lot of up-and-coming filmmakers that saw it and said, oh, I can do that too, which is super important. Like, that's how trends start and... That's the evolution of cinema, right? And of course, I'm just going to quickly recommend if you're a fan of like cheesy movies, cheesy and just like you're not going to be scared, but you're going to get thrills. The Friday the 13th movies are perfect for that. Like they always play every year on AMC or you can stream them, I think, on Netflix. Just go in and shut your brain off and you might actually have a great time and like you'll wind down and you won't be stressed about life. You just watch these silly teenagers get picked off and just like goof around so (laughs) like i'm gonna watch one of those tonight i have to every every october watch them all yeah i mean i'm in a mood now to watch some stuff and be scared a little bit more i've since we did our first pod together i definitely have more of an appreciation for the genre and i feel like even though i've said in this episode that i'm not a huge fan of it i i see a lot more value in it now i'm glad I think you'll like Doctor Sleep then. Look for it. Hopefully it's on either Netflix, Prime, Crave. It's on Crave, I think. Okay. But, uh, well, well, we can discuss it the next like the next episode where you do like a roundup of what you've seen recently or something or down the road. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. uh, there obviously like we had talked about maybe talking about some movies we've seen lately there, but I don't think we have. Mm time for that and it's uh, we can time. say that for another time yeah but um hopefully by the time we do our next pod movie is movies i want to watch include the trial of the chicago seven have you seen that yet it's on my parents my parents said it was phenomenal i haven't checked it out yet so that's on my list i'm gonna watch like now that i'm just in a full-blown degenerate mood to watch tv shows and movies and i feel nice. like that's gonna be winter essentially like we're not gonna be able to do much golf season's winding down so hockey won't be starting right away so no hockey like that's january if not february so yeah. we'll see i mean i'm still on my fantasy hockey research that's a daily that's that's a given but movies and tv shows like mandalorian coming out next friday next, can't yeah. wait for that there's a lot of stuff i'm gonna watch and like movies i'm, I'm in a mood to just crush movies now like chicago Good. seven and the Mank as well. Have you seen the trailer for that? No. David Fincher's next movie? Oh my god, no, I haven't seen the trailer. I've been okay, so seeing, that just okay. dropped yesterday on Twitter. Oh. I think you're you're gonna love the look of the trailer and okay. what the movie is gonna look like as well. It's um a film noir setting and shooting style. So I, I'm looking forward to that. That's gonna be a Netflix 
movie oh, and in sweet. select theaters, but I'm obviously watching it on Netflix. Oh, that's so, awesome. That's on my list as well. I completely missed that. Wow. Yeah, One of my right. favorite directors. Next pod, I'll probably be, or whenever we talk about movies there, like that we've seen recently, that'll be one for sure. Chicago seven. Great. And if you have any recommendations for me now, I'll take them or maybe I'll throw on the thing. Uh, Eric, there's never a bad time to throw on the thing. It's just <laughs> to me, like the thing is like a play because it's all one location characters turning on each other. No, I just love it. You know what? I'm really curious to see a first time view though of what you're going to think because my first time I wasn't really, I don't feel about it the way I do now. So it grew on me. So the thing hush for Netflix. I've been, I've been on a TV show kick recently. Like my movie has my movie watching has scaled back. Um, I've been just crushing one show after another, like all nine seasons of shameless. Yeah. And, uh, no, I don't know. Throw on I don't wanna... Fargo. That that's got to be your next <sighs> show. Okay, that's... I've already started. I've already started another one, but Far Fargo's on Netflix. If it's on, I'll. Uh, you know what? I know I'll. That's the stupid thing. I know I'm gonna love it. So I don't know why I'm being lazy about it. Okay, fine. I've seen Fargo fine. season one and two, at least twice, if not oh. almost three times. Not in from start to finish but i've seen a lot of episodes three times it's so good okay i mean i don't you want to what? overhype it for anyone no, no. who hasn't seen it but if you like like dark comedy good action good plot twists intrigue mystery especially not really knowing how everything's gonna piece together and come mm-hmm. full circle it's a fantastic show and um it's unpredictable you're not going to know where it's going to go. And just character dynamics and growth. Even the minor characters are really captivating yeah. and have their own okay. um, agendas and different objectives. It's it's really good. Seasons one and two are fantastic. Okay. Season three had really good reviews. I didn't love it as much. And now season four is on TV. And I only watched the first episode. Wasn't that hooked. One and two, though, all okay. time. So I would definitely recommend, and I'm probably going to rewatch it again at some point. So, Well, what you just said has me really intrigued, actually. And I love all the actors in Fargo, so you know what? Billy I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. it. I think that's oh. a good uh, good spot to wrap it up. It was okay. a great episode and flew by as per usual. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we there's more, like, there's always stuff I forget to say, and it's like, oh, too late it, next time, you know? I know. And like like you said, Hill House, there's probably way more we could have yeah. talked about. I think we talked more about Bly because we literally just finished yeah. it. Yeah. More contentious, maybe. There's more to be argued as to why things were a certain way. And um, mm-hmm. Hill House has more meat on the bone. Would you say that's correct? Yes. Yep, I agree. No, Eric, this is a great episode. And I could talk about horror all day, so... Like, it's, I love this episode. Yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. I mean, it's always a pleasure talking about this genre, especially with you. So any final notes for the audience? No, just uh, if you haven't, I mean, I hope you weren't listening too much to the Hill House, Bly Manor, like spoilers, but go watch those two shows. Um, and if you can only watch one, start with Hill House, like do Hill House. And if you're a horror skeptic, like you're like, oh, you're turned off by horror, just 
what's the harm in just watching the first episode and seeing how you react? That's, that's, those will be my parting words. Is just give it a chance if you don't think it, you're going to like it. And I hope everyone is staying safe out there and, you know, we will get through this. <laughs> Better days ahead. It's going to be a, like a winter filled of uh, TV and movies and yeah. Zoom calls and uh, virtual beers. But like Matt said, brighter days ahead. So, yeah, thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned for episodes dropping every other Monday. Hope everyone has a great day, great week. And, yeah, peace.